Hello, my friends. Today, we're talking to Mazen, Senior Vice President and CTO at eBay, and we discuss the many benefits of sabbaticals and maintaining a healthy work-life balance, how to supercharge workplace culture, and why competition should inform strategy, not drive it. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I saw that you were on sabbatical, and I was curious about what that was like. Oh, you know, sabbatical is amazing. I think you didn't know how good it is till you try it. And I love the culture of eBay where actually we provide sabbatical. It's been part of who we are and how we recognize our employees. And it's just amazing. You know, I'm back fresh. It looks like my day one back at eBay. And, and uh, yeah, sabbatical program is just amazing. I actually been encouraging because we have a lot of people who just delay it and delay it. And I'm encouraging people just go and take it. You don't know how good it is till you try it. So it was amazing. Was it hard, like adjusting to the sabbatical? Well, it's the first probably week. It was difficult because, you know, your brain is still at work and, and you're still thinking about everything you need to do. Uh, but once you get over that, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a discipline. Like one, you know, you need to trust your team that everything will be okay without you being at the office, which is important. And the other piece is you, you just need to, what I call it, learn how to self-regulate. You have to have the discipline to disconnect. That's good for your health. That's good for your family. It's good for your company as well. So, yeah, I mean, it takes a few days to get there. And that's why actually the way I did it, I took an extra week off. So an extra week off on the top of my sabbatical because uh, you need that four weeks contiguous. I can't wait till people like from the show write in and they said, I'll take a sabbatical, but I asked for an extra week (laughs) just for the adjustment period. Right. That's awesome, though. I found myself like personally, I'm an entrepreneur, right? And starting a business, just working crazy amount of hours, unhealthy, and convincing yourself that you have to stop working in order to refresh so that the time you're spending at work is potent, right? It's it's useful time. That was a really hard lesson for me to learn, but it's the truth. Like you just have to take those breaks, those forced breaks, and then you're more effective at what you do. Yeah, you get more effective. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health. It's good for your coworkers, for the company, for your family. And, and uh, it's, you know, as I said, it's a discipline. I don't think you will ever disconnect 100%, but you train your mind and you train yourself that everything will be okay without me at the office because we built a good organization, we built a good culture, and I trust my team. The trust is very important aspect of it because, you know, we always get used to be taking a, a one-week vacation, two-week vacation, and, and usually you are back at the office, and that's a, such a short period of time. Being out for four weeks contiguous and not checking emails and not looking at your phone for anything work-related, it's a discipline, but it has so much value when you come back to the office. Seriously, I'm back at the office, excited about the company, excited about our customers, excited about my team, and you are fresh, you are energized. Where did you learn discipline in your life? You know, it's, I don't think it's a switch. Like it's, it's your experience. You're learning and watching other people and learning from mistakes you, you, you made. 
So to me, it's I think it's just part of your DNA as you grow up around the environment where you are and how you commit to certain things, you know, your ethics around, you know, people say work ethics, I say your ethics, because it doesn't matter. You have your work ethics is coming from your personal ethics. And you learn the discipline by really l- making mistakes and learning. And then you figure out, I need to get better in doing this. You know, for example, when I say self-regulate, I remember in, early in my career, you know, when my kids used to be pretty little, they couldn't say anything to me, but I used to be sitting at the dinner table in my phone or checking work. As they grew up a little bit, I started realizing I need to be present for them. So then you start learning by mistakes you make without realizing I made those mistakes. And then, you you know, over time, it becomes part of your DNA. And you start realizing I need to do these things because they are better for me in the long term. I fully agree. I had a similar realization. I've got a five-year-old daughter, a three-and-a-half-year-old son, and then an, another son that'll be here within by the 19th. So within like the next two or three weeks. Wow, congrats. Yeah. And when I started the business, I started it basically the same month my first child was born. So five years ago. And my wife and I, we made this agreement. We had no clue what we were agreeing to. (laughs) We made this agreement that I was just going to work like crazy so that, because I could either go and and continue being a software developer and continue building, you know, enterprise systems and doing that, or I could go off on this adventure and risk savings and and do all of this other stuff. And so I said, let's, let's try that. I can always go back to software, right? So we made this agreement that I'm going to have to like work incredibly hard nights, weekends, all of this stuff. Well, little did we know what we were actually agreeing to, because you can agree to something and then in reality and practice, it ruined the relationship for like two years. We had a really rough time. And then I had this big wake up call. I think I was listening to my daughter in the background while I was on like speakerphone with, with somebody in the family. And somebody asked her like where her where daddy is or something. And she said something along the lines of, oh, daddy doesn't spend time with us. He's always at work. And that was the moment. I immediately stopped working nights and weekends. I completely changed everything. We started going like camping and spending time together because I'm a very productive person. So if I'm not at work doing something, I have to be with the family doing something. And so that was about two and a half years ago, maybe. And wow, has my entire family life changed. And that aspect of my life changing has even made me better at work because now I've got this great thing going on at home and this great thing going on at work. Yeah. No, listen, I completely agree with you. I think being disciplined in how you use your time and how you are present, you know, most of the time people, just so much going on and they have a hard time figuring out where you draw the line. You could be extremely successful at work, very productive, but you also can be present with your family, with your loved ones. I always call it, I, I have a philosophy, I call it shattered moments. There's certain things you have to be disciplined to do. For example, you, you know, your kids, if you have kids, they're only going to graduate once from high school. They're only going to graduate once or if they go higher education multiple times. But there's always that first time or their first birthday. So to me, I look at those, I call them shattered moments where you have to do everything within your power to make sure you are present. And then once you do that, Actually, you are, you have more satisfaction to be more productive when you go back to work. So it's a discipline. It's a learning. We all have our different way of doing it. I encourage people always figure out what it is for you and make sure you have that discipline to uh, draw the line. I want to talk a little bit about 
I mean, it sounds cool that you're the CTO at eBay. I mean, that sounds cool, right? But I want to know, like, where did you start and how did you get there? Yeah. You know, I came to the state uh, back in 1988 to go to school, study computer science, and I had no intention at the time that I will continue to live uh, in this great country, honestly, because a lot of people don't know how good it is. Because once you try living somewhere else and you live here and look at the opportunity and how you kind of grow, you know, I, I met my wife two years into my college, been happily married for 30 years now, which is uh, it's something I'm very proud of. Like my wife has been my anchor in life and in my success. And then, you know, as I graduated, you know, I, I started my career, uh, you know, with, a, you know, an entry-level computer operator at Sacramento Bee newspaper. And then, you know, I have a lot of ambition. I have a lot of, you know, have lots of goal in my life. I wanted to learn and be better. And then from there, my early startup experience with a company called LaudaCloud was founded by Mark Andreessen uh, and Ben Horowitz, which is, if you think of it, it's like public cloud before its time. That's in, in 2000. And I was there for three years and the company went public, became a company called Opsware. And then after that, I joined eBay. eBay was a rocket ship, learned tons, helped eBay grow, spent eight years at eBay. Then from there, you know, joined Twitter as uh, one of the early employees at Twitter, ran engineering, infrastructure engineering at Twitter for five years, helped Twitter go public. And then I took a break as, you know, I, I thought, I'm done. My wife told me you are a workaholic. Nine months into it, I... Uh, got really bored and I wanted to get back in and uh, ended up rejoining eBay, which I thought I will never come back to eBay because you just, you think you always try different companies. I had other options to go to other places and I'm glad I came back to eBay. And one of the key aspects of coming back to eBay, it's the culture of eBay and the purpose of the company. So kind of in a two minutes gave you uh, what happened in, in, in my career in 30 years. Well, what's the culture like there? What do you value? You know, it's funny. People ask me, why back to eBay? You have opportunity. You could have gone in many other places. One of the uh, aspects that what draw me back to eBay is the culture. I would summarize the culture of eBay in its core. It's extremely healthy and it's centered around our customers. When you talk to anyone at eBay, the first, always you hear the purpose of the company and, and, and that's actually drive the culture of eBay. We are proud of a culture of learning where your people can join the company and learn and move around. So I thought with summarize, it's a culture that's centered around customer value, centered around the customers, customer around learning, culture of transparency. You know, of course, like any other company, we have challenges and we have area we have to deal with. It's a big company, but in its core, it's an extremely uh, healthy culture. And it was one of actually the reason what tipped me between other company I was going to join versus eBay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Culture is something extremely important for me personally. And it's, it's the foundation. It's the foundation of anything you do. Many, many CTOs I talk to and many technical folks I talk to, sometimes they're tackling technical challenges through technology. My philosophy is you build the right culture, a lot of good things will follow. And the, 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 to answer your questions, there's four areas I always pay a lot of attention to. One, customer. Customer is the center of gravity of everything we do. And as a CTO, my customer could be internal customers or external customers. So to me, make the customer your center of gravity. It will help you make all the right decision for the company. So you always optimize for the customer. That's, that's one thing. The other one is transparency. If you create a culture of transparency as a byproduct of that, 
there will be a lot of trust across teams and organization and membership. And it will eradicate a lot of bad behavior or politics across the organization. The third one, ownership. Ownership and a pride of what you do. It doesn't matter if you are a software engineer, if you are a network engineer, if you are a security engineer, have a pride and be the best at what you do. And then the, the, the fourth one, it's execution and outcome. I, I think it's important to be able to deliver the right outcome for whatever organization you are doing. So usually I look at these four areas, uh, to me are, are the four areas I look at as, you know, where I look at the culture we are building. Transparency is one of the most important one. Have you written at all about this? Not necessarily, but I talk about it all the time. And here's the important things about those areas. They are not things you put in the wall. They are not things you just talk about. You have to practice that. So I think your team is going to emulate your behavior and your team is going to take those and try to play them in their own way deeper in the organization. And that's how you build the culture. I always say, you know, you build the right culture when people do the right thing when you are not watching them. And no, I actually, uh, one day, probably when I have a free time, I will write about that. But uh, unfortunately, I haven't uh, got a chance to do it yet. Well, when the Mazen books comes out, <laughs> let us know. I really like that. I mean, I get to do a lot of these interviews, right? And so one of the things we look at is we actually will track different advice people give for different things and, and spreadsheets. And that will help us determine uh, from a macro level, like what are some of the habits and patterns across all of these, you know, 500 plus interviews? And you named basically all of them, <laughs> like the most common ones that come up. Like, and, and the reason that's important is because those are the things that really move the needle, right? Those are the things that really matter. Yeah, Joel. And usually I talk about those in different, every time I have an opportunity with my broader organization, if it's a, uh, ask me any questions, if it's a round table or if it's an all hand, I always like to inject that with examples because it, it, it's, again, it's not what do you say, it's what do you do. And then that will trickle down in the behavior within the org. So it's, a, you know, sometimes I hear, you know, you walk to people's offices and they have things hanging in the wall, but actually that's not what they do. So that's to me is it, you have to practice what do you do and that's how your team believe in if what do you say and then they replay it again themselves then it becomes a dna over time yes you know who you are i can tell like you the way you speak and everything like you're you have a lot of self-awareness well thank you <laughs> it's important <laughs> <laughs> i know that's the only, you have to be able to confront yourself and see you know i listen to this one guy jordan peterson and he talks about this one exercise you can do where you can sit on the corner of your bed and you can ask yourself what's the one thing i'm doing that's absolutely keeping me from success what's the one thing i'm doing that's like really hurting me and then stop doing it and i thought that was actually like a really interesting exercise because it forces you to confront yourself and the decisions that you make. And when it's just you versus you, you can't get mad at you for asking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a, you know, I think all of us, we have our own way of reflecting. And I actually, uh, usually I reflect throughout the day in my drive back home, which lately with COVID that, you know, has changed the whole dynamic, but reflecting back in your day, being able to be a good critic of yourself, it's, it's extremely important. 
I want to talk about technology, the future of eBay, things of that nature. When I was growing up, eBay was just, it came onto the market and it was huge. Like it was a household name and it, it became like people, there were news stories about people selling stuff. It was like a really huge part of society when it sort of exploded and became something everybody knew about. And then now, like when eBay results come up, they tend to be like generic results or like it doesn't seem to like actually be auctions. And whatever position I'm in as a user, it doesn't, seem like something I would use to buy stuff. When that goes through my head, right? And you guys have 20,000 employees and you're, you generate revenue. I'm like, where, what, what's the business model that I don't see? Or like, where is it really, really useful that I'm not seeing? And so I was hoping you could tell me like, you know, where that is or what your largest area of business is or like maybe what country you're most popular in. Yeah. One of the things when, when let me speak for me personally, but also it's in a common thing you hear from our employees like why you are at eBay, why you came back to eBay. And very often you hear it's the purpose of the company and what we do. And our purpose is pretty simple. The purpose of eBay is we are connecting communities to create economic opportunities for all. And when we meet some of our sellers and some of our buyers and you hear their story and how eBay changed their life, it hits home because it's that purpose is, it's amazing. Now, to answer your question, I think, when I think of eBay, the scale of eBay, you know, at any given time, you have 1.6 billion live listing on sale at any given day. And we are in over almost 190 markets. And then we have massive volume and amount of data, rich data from seasonality, the depth of data. And we try to bring all that to help our customer. For example, collectibles, trading cards, uh, we have a lot of enthusiasts who come to eBay to find the things, not just the things they love, but the things they can't find anywhere else. So I think, uh, you know, when I look at the activity on the site and I look at buyers and sellers and what they do, sometimes I'm amazed because you'll see numbers is just staggering in terms of activity on the site. So to answer your question, you know, I, you know, think of refurbished items collectibles, trading cards, sneakers, handbags, and, and some of the really, you know, watches, some of the high-end, high-value, you'll find them on eBay. But also, what do you find on eBay? A lot of things that people can't find anywhere else. So, you know, we, I think you find a lot of enthusiasts who will come to eBay because they love what they find and they connect with it, but also they find the things that they can't find anywhere else. I don't know if I answered your questions, but yeah, uh, you know, you did. It's you reminded me that there's so many other things other than the things I would be looking for when I ran into the issue. But yeah, the the whole antiques, trading cards, collectibles, all of those things. So that's like a large area of your business. And then, what country are you most popular in? Do you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, you think in Europe, you know, Germany, UK, also in Australia, Japan. So I, I think uh, you know we we are in, as I said, in 190 markets around the world. But I think the other, uh, I feel misconception about eBay, eBay, when I talk to many people and when, when we talk about eBay, they think it's all the auction stuff, it's all the used stuff. Actually, more than 90% of items sold on eBay are brand new items. We have businesses runs on eBay. So I, I think that's another misconception where, yeah, you get the collectibles, you get a lot of refurbish is, is, is a massive business. But also, there's a lot of businesses who actually sell brand new items on eBay. And it's not just what we call C2C. There's a lot of B2C happening on eBay. One of the things that I've started to learn over the past couple of years is 
we have, when I say we um, Americans, we have our imagination of the brand. And by default, if we don't think deeply about it, we just imagine that that's how it works across the world. But often it doesn't. I found this out specifically with some countries in like Sweden and such that they'll use like Facebook like at, at work. Like it'll be a common thing that they're on like while they're at work and they'll use these tools that are within Facebook to like as like a Slack, like a workplace type deal. So I got to start to pay attention to how different cultures and different countries will actually use different tools. And so that's why I was curious. I was like, man, I wonder what countries are like really into eBay. Yeah, and and you know, culture comes to play a lot in you know different behavior of different countries. Like everybody knows, you know, German the way German use credit cards and checks and bank accounts is different than how we use it in the U.S. So yeah, I mean, different countries, and it's also uh, trading cards. It's it's more popular in in the U.S. than rather in Europe. It's because the culture is different. So uh, absolutely, I mean, there's different interests, different behavior, how they interact with the site based on their the location of the world. Let's talk about AI. What type of cool stuff are you guys doing over there with modern technology? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, I always, uh, I always think of AI, uh, it's not a product, it's an ecosystem. And I try always to correct my team when we talk about it and, and others, because it's, it's interwoven into everything we do internally and externally. What I love about what we do in AI, we have an amazing uh, Chief AI officer, uh, and we have an outstanding team. What we're doing in the computer vision, it's it's exciting. You know, we what we're doing also in all the the modeling and basically taking this massive volume of data we have and being able to train it within a short window and being able to make value and activate that data for our customers. But when I think of, uh, I don't know if you've seen, we've done the True 3D where you actually you can look at the sneakers. And you do a 360, a 3D, but also you can zoom in and zoom out and look at the blemish of, and look at the stitches of the shoes, which I, I don't think there's anybody's doing it at, at the point, which is, it was exciting because now you, you, you don't just rotate the sneakers, you rotate it and you flip it upside down. You actually look at it from every angle, but certain area you want to figure out, is that a scratch? And then you can zoom in and see that we're doing that fun. We're doing a we're leveraging AI in many areas around fraud and you know around also within our infrastructure in the back end, we leverage AI in many other capability. But computer vision, uh, NLP and and what are we doing in that space is pretty exciting. What are your thoughts on like Facebook marketplace and there's like sneaker specific marketplaces and the, these other sort of emergent marketplaces. Like when you see one come about, do you use it, explore it, figure out what they're doing? Like, how do you see those other marketplaces? Yeah, listen, it's, uh, it'll be naive for anybody not to use the product of their competition. I mean, you have to use the product of your competition. You have to see uh, what, what you can learn from it. And, you know, otherwise you are complacent. Uh, and 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 you cannot you cannot do that. L- listen, like uh, y- you know, uh, competition is good. Competition actually ignite a lot of good creative thinking and innovation. But in the end, I always focus on our strategy and who we are. And I will never, uh, from a technology side, I will never allow our strategy to be driven by what our competition is doing. So we stay true to who we are and our strategy our value and what we try to deliver for our customers. And that's where the focus is. I've done that throughout my career. I look to see what the competition is doing, but 
that is not what will drive our strategy and, and we stay focused on who we are. Nice. I like it. I wanted to ask you if there were any really big differences from the first time you held a position at eBay to the second time that you held a position there. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I think the company evolved and, and, and changed. Like in my first stint at eBay, first of all, different time and different challenges. I think the second stint is uh, the world has changed and that both technical challenges and business challenges are different. It's also uh, the one thing did not change is is the culture, the purpose of the company, the culture, and and that did not change much. But everything around it, you know, from a technology perspective, it's I would say it's a one eighty shift and change in terms of focus and and challenges. What type of technology do you use the most? Whether it's a piece of hardware or software, it can't be your cell phone or computer. <laughs> like other t- other type of technology. You know, I think open source. So one of the things uh, I pushed for when I rejoined eBay back in 2016 is is moving more and more uh, to open source at different layer of our technology stack. And that's why when I look right now, actually open source is uh, dominating our entire stack from the bottom up, either from software and hardware and infrastructure components. So uh, to me, that's important because... Uh, the, as I said, the word changed over time where in the past eBay used a lot of enterprise product and, and we moved more into open source. And it's a way to actually attract and retain top talent engineers because going back to the earlier point, you have a lot of pride of what you build, but you are part of the solution. And, and uh, it's also create this, uh, I would call it really uh, unlimited creative mind to how to solve problems and you are not limited to a product you license from an enterprise company. So open source is definitely, uh, it's dominating our entire stack from the, what I call it, the foundation from data center and network all the way to our UI software. And are you guys contributing to help maintain those projects? So we have not open source. We leverage the open source and we contribute to it, but we have not opened some of our product to the outside yet. We are debating that internally to decide which one we want to put out in the market and get thousands of developers to build on the top of it to make it a better product. I want to wrap up with a question. We get questions from the audience. We ask people, we send out emails saying, hey, we're talking to the you know CTO of eBay. What type of questions do you have? One question here is, what advice do you have for tech leaders going through uncertain times? Yeah. One, I would say, don't try to be perfectionist. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, it's a dynamic environment. I would say, uh, get the right people around you. Make sure you bounce your idea by others and ask for help when you need it. This is very, it's a very dynamic time. And a lot of, most of us, we are seeing things we never seen before, but we can relate to it in other areas. So I find it the more you step away from being a perfectionist or get the right people around you, make sure you have good sounding board around you and, and don't try to solve the problem by yourself. 100% the case, especially I learned that pretty rapidly as an entrepreneur when you have your life savings on the line. 
<laughs> and you don't have the right people around you and it's not working, you get really bold really fast and you get good at, you know, pulling people on and off your team. And then you figure out like it's not necessarily the specific project as much as it is the people that are intelligent, talented, autonomous, and you can sort of like bring them together and all achieve like a, a shared goal. But yeah, you definitely learn that in an accelerated way when all your money's on the line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, man. This has been fantastic. We made a podcast. How do you feel? Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.